Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Mr. Dennis Combites. Dennis is the founder of Robots.Education and he's the acting CEO of Easy Robot. It'd be easy by those two titles to believe that today's show was about robotics. And it is, but it's also about the reality that we face not only as the Calgary economy, but as the global shift towards automation through AI and through robotics. We're on a collision course with the reality that our the workforce and the jobs that we have today are going to look different tomorrow. Dennis tours the world working with educators to help them understand how to bring robotics and AI and the general understanding of technology literacy into our school system at, a, at an early enough age to set the youth of today up for the job front of tomorrow. Dennis takes it from something that can be very scary to a place of reality and understanding to a place of what we can all do to meet the transformation that's, that's here as well as coming very close down the road. Join me for an excellent, philosophical, deep, slightly unnerving conversation with Dennis Combites. Hello, Dennis. How are you doing today, my friend? Really good, Tyler. How are you doing? I am. I am. I'm. I'm always. Gonna, people must get so tired of listening to me. I'm like, I'm great. I'm awesome. I choose to be that way. It's a choice. And yes, I'm guilty of being overenthusiastic, but you and I'm excited for today's call for a couple different reasons. You and I had a chat a few weeks ago and we were fortunately introduced by mutual, a mutual acquaintance who happened to be your wife. Small, small, small town Calgary strikes again, one degree of separation. Yeah. And I thought we were going to talk about robots and which is pretty exciting. But what I've really found out if we chatted, we're going to talk about robots, but also in the world of education and where we're headed in terms of, and I, hey, I'll be, I'll be honest, when I got off the call, I was left a little bit like back on my heels of like, oh, wow, this is a bigger thing. And just for other notes, it's not the robots are going to take over the world, but maybe. And how are we going to be better positioned for that change and evolution of technology? So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to you to give us a little bit of a background. You are the CEO of Easy Robot. You're the founder of Robots.Education. So let's give our audience a little bit of view of what that is and then kind of let's get into it and ultimately how we see that imp- impacting Calgary and then we'll kind of build it out from there. That, sound, that sounds great. Uh, so I guess the first, thing, the first thing to know about me is I am not a uh, trained roboticist. I'm not a trained coder. Um, my background is in communications where I worked for about 20 years, and I kind of came into the world of robotics um, quite by chance, where I happened to have somebody employed uh, in my, one of my companies, and they were building a robotics platform in their spare time and happened to build ultimately what is the best robotics platform for educating kids. And so, you know, if we had, if we had this conversation seven years ago, and you said to me, in five years' time, you're going to be, or in seven years' time, you're going to be CEO of a robotics company, and that'll be your, you know, you'll be passionate about that. I honestly would have bet you my house against a donut that there was no way. <clears throat> you know, my, uh, I don't spend my spare time doing robotics, but an interesting thing has happened because of that. Because I, I'm not a classic robotics person or, you know, an engineer. I take a really different slant towards robotics education. And the impact of that has been that we're able to reach a hugely larger percentage of children the way we teach robotics than what is currently happening in in many schools across North America and the world. And, you know, the, the big thing for me where I got involved with this was I started to understand uh, through my, my, coworker, DJ Schurz, who's also a Calgarian and 
just doing incredible, incredible things. Um, I started to understand that the impact that robotics and AI was going to have on the workforce is way larger than people understand. And the implications for not having our children ready for that, for that massively evolving workforce, the implications are significant, both economically and societally. So I got, I got involved with this because not that I loved robotics, but I became acutely aware of the impact robotics and AI, AI was going to have. And because I love humanity and the, you know, the, the robotics platform that was created by DJ is so easy to use and so powerful that literally anybody can learn robotics now. And, and it's interesting because I can't even tell you how many times I've been in a school and they're like, Hey, do you want to come in and teach robotics? And I'm teaching a class full of boys, but the way we teach it, you know, if we're in the, the library or the learning commons and girls walk into the room, they always stop and I'm like, would you like to learn robotics like this? And they're, you know, the answer is virtually 100% yes. So, you know, we're, we're achieving incredible results, which is really important because robotics, AI, automation, they are going to change every industry. And, you know, it was interesting for me when I got involved with this seven years ago or so, <clears throat> I started to you know, think back to all of the great transitions that have happened, you know, like the internet and, and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be incredible to have known that the dot-com, you know, thing was going to happen or social media, all of these big trends. And if you could have known those trends were coming well enough in advance and started to prepare yourself, you would have been in an excellent position when those trends finally emerged and hit and became game-changing. Now, the interesting thing about robotics is it's already started, and AI, it's already starting to impact the workplace in ways that people don't understand and, and in a very pervasive ways. And, you know, there's still, there's still time for people to understand what's coming. And, and ultimately, I mean, I've trained hundreds of teachers to teach robotics. I've spoken with thousands of educators. I've demonstrated robotics to probably close to 17,000 kids. Every, everybody can learn this. And I do mean that quite seriously. It's an interesting perspective when you think about economic economic transformation and, you know, if you think about what we're going through, ultimately we're kind of talking about Calgary right now. This is obviously a much broader kind of global trend, but it feels a little bit like in the last five years, economic transformation is happening to us. And to think about it from your perspective of seven years ago, sitting there and looking out and saying, hey, I need to get involved in this when I would say AI is becoming more of a, and I'm not saying everyone knows what it means, but it's a word and a term that gets fairly fluently exchanged around in the, in the ecosystem. You read articles, AI. So just thinking about, you know, if you think about Calgary as an economy or businesses, like for yourself, what kind of a mindset were you in? I'm just thinking about how you sat there seven years ago, or maybe seven years ago, you would have told me I was crazy. So maybe five years ago when, you know, and, and ultimately I would argue that maybe you did bet your house because if you went all in on something five years ago that now is just starting to, or still evolving, that is a degree of risk for somebody as an individual or as a business or as a municipality. I guess what were the is it was it the right mindset for you, or was it just the stars align? You made a couple comments about like you know I love humanity and I you know not necessarily roboticists, but really saw something coming. I guess trying to take some lessons away from that of where we can all do that as individuals to say how do, how do you read the, how did you read those tea leaves or kind of what were the things that that kind of inspired you to wrap those into a change of career an actual like path? Wow. So 
<laughs> Maybe that was a pick. <laughs> so that turned into the longer I talked, the bigger that question became. <laughs> Just that. No. Uh, <laughs> when I flash, when I think back to how this whole thing happened, right? So I, w- I would be working with uh, DJ who was doing programming for me, and we would work till two in the morning. Then he'd go home, and you know, and then come back next day or a couple days later, and we'd work late again. And then every few days he'd come into the office and he'd be like, "Look, I can have a conversation with my robot." And um, you know, and, and at that point in time, I was kind of like, eh. And he's like, oh, my robot can drive around there without crashing into things because he was hacking a Wall-E toy and turning it into a powerful robot. Now, back then, I wasn't educated about robotics. I didn't realize I was looking at absolutely world, <laughs> world-class, cutting-edge robotics because it was in a Wall-E toy. Because it was wrapped up in a, it was wrapped up in a package that looked made it very approachable and right. We can, thank, and, we can thank Pixar for that whole genre of putting human characteristics to inanimate objects, essentially. Yeah. And and so you know, as I started to understand a little bit more about what he was doing and stuff, and I, I just started to I started to grasp the size of the change that was coming, and the you know there's there's two aspects to it. One, you know, I, I am a humanitarian, but the second aspect is I'm also an entrepreneur. And it became very clear to me that robotics and AI isn't just, it's not an industry. Okay, it, it's, it is an industry, but it's not just an industry. And we have to start thinking about it as a layer across all industries, the same way we view, ro- or the same way we view computers, <clears throat> right? Where we would suggest that anybody who doesn't have computer literacy is going to be significantly disadvantaged in the workplace. Some of them will still find decent jobs, but a significant portion of them are going to have a harder time. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know, and that at this day, I don't think you would get a lot of resistance to that statement. Right, mm. right. But you know, one of the interesting things that happened is it took the computer industry you know, 30 years to grow up and to become the pervasive force that it is. But that's because we had to shrink mainframes from the size of a gymnasium to fit on our, you know, on our wrist and in our pocket. The hard work has already been done, technologically speaking. Now it's just about programming. You know, there's, there's good sensors out there. So robotics and AI, they're not going to take the same amount of time. We don't get 30 years to grow up around robotics. We get five to seven years because, you know, robotic applications, automation and stuff, they're going to happen as quickly as mankind can envision a cost savings or a benefit. And, you know, I, an example I love to use, uh, and I was reminded about this by a superintendent relatively recently, and, you know, because now McDonald's has touchscreen ordering. And, you know, I talked to him a little while back, and he said, everything you told us four years ago is all coming true. And, like, he's like, you talk, and he, and he specifically mentioned or referenced McDonald's because I was talking about how there's going to be touch screen ordering and then robotic chefs and burger flipping robots and stuff. And I talk about the economic impact of that. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but let's just look at McDonald's, you know, and I don't know what their exact numbers are, but let's, you know, I'm going to spitball here a little bit. The McDonald's restaurant by myself, uh, by our house used to have three to four people across or four to five people across the front counter every day, two chefs a day. And now there's one person and a bunch of touchscreen, you know, ordering. So if we assume that there's one person per shift and there used to be four or five, um, now we're, we're down about seven shifts that need to be covered per day. Talk about 15,000 restaurants, McDonald's restaurants. It's 100,000 jobs that don't exist today that existed three years ago. No headlines. 
That's that's usually and and it basically you know in the in the overnight essentially mm-hmm. overnight right and that's and that's an important thing to understand is these changes once they prove out in one store so you know three years ago they te- they were testing this in one McDonald's store or two McDonald's store or ten or fifteen and it's like okay this is a cost saving this is going to save our franchise owners a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars whatever it is per year as soon as that determination is made. And they find out that the public is happy enough with that technology, it rolls out across the company instantaneously, as fast as they can put those machines in, because everybody wants to put $200,000 more in their pocket every year. But now an interesting thing that happens is if McDonald's is doing it, you know, what, what we're starting to see is now McDonald's has market advantage, right? And, and the, the owners of Burger King not want to also make an extra $200,000 a year. So we're starting to see these now in Burger King, uh, I think it's Chick-fil-A, Panera Bread's. You know, a lot of times people will say, oh, yeah, I saw that at this other restaurant. And so it's really important that we understand that it looks like there's nothing, 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 nothing. And it swings. And yeah, all of a a sudden, boom, it's over. It's an overnight change, but it's been brewing for five years, three years. So if we if we look at some of the other, you know, examples of what's happening, Lowe's in the USA, the the hardware store has been testing a customer service robot for several years. Okay, well, if customer if that once that customer service robot and it's pretty impressive once it proves out, you know, if, if they've spent millions of dollars creating this, they're not going to put it in just one store. It's going to go across every low store, then every Home Depot, then every IKEA, Superstore, Costco, Best Buy, Fry's Electronics. It's going to go across the country in the big box stores. If it works in the big box stores, the truth is it's going to work in the small retail stores as well. So, you know, we're going to see we're going to see this nothing, nothing, nothing huge shift. And it's interesting. I was in New York City at a conference called Robo Universe about five or six years ago, giving a presentation on the impact robotics and AI was going to have on the workforce. And there were two really big takeaways from that conference for me. Um, and this was this was you know an interesting scenario for me because it was fairly new within my robotics you know career. Uh, so I had I had a, a good amount of knowledge, but it was. It was all, you know, internet-based, research-based, um, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't gotten out at that point in time into the community at large, but I was still giving this presentation because when I talked to the organizers of the conference, they're like, this is incredible information. I, you know, they had never heard of that. They're conference organizers, so I, I'm like, okay, that's, you know, they're not roboticists per se. So I go to this conference and I go up on stage and I'm really worried that people are going to look at me and go, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not going to be like that at all. And, so a little uh, uh, imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was, you know, I had that apprehension and then over the next two days, I couldn't believe the number of roboticists and people that work in the robotics industry that came up to me and said, I'd never thought of it that way. And you know, the, the interesting thing, because they were literally too close. They were literally, yeah. In the heart, in the hardware side of things, actually, right? You know, if, yeah. if if your job is to is to get a machine to do task A, or if you're going from task A to task, or like from A to B, and that's your job, your nose down, going, I wonder if I can make this do B. How can I make it do B the very best it can? But you don't, unless you unless you step back a ways, you don't realize there's two thousand companies doing the same thing. And what happens when all those companies get to be at roughly the same time? And that's kind of the the change that we're going to start to see across the workplace. And we're going to see, honestly, it's a a workforce shift unlike anything in the history of mankind, where 
you know, we're going to see, there are forecasts that um, show that, you know, potentially up to 45% of jobs will be eliminated by, by technology in the next decade. That's across Canada and the U.S., 65 million people losing their employment. Now, and, and from where you're sitting, because I've read some of these, and sometimes it feels like it's a little bit, you know, glor- glor- glorified, and the, you know, yep. the robots, the robots are taking the robot overlords. But listening to from what you're talking about, this is a very, this is very real in terms of like, because sometimes it's easy to minimize it because it seems too big and too scary, so it mustn't be true. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that's actually not the case. Well, and, you know, nobody knows exactly how all of this is going to play out. But if you run through some of the industries and go, okay, within transportation, transportation is a huge employer. If we have self-driving vehicles, if we get to the point where it's just self-driving vehicles, you know, what happens to bus drivers, truck drivers, and cab drivers, right? And then you start to think, okay, well, if, if those people lose their jobs, what kind of industry can absorb them? And then you go, okay, well, maybe retail, right? Because, and this is not to take a shot at people in transportation at all, but most of us, we work during the day and then we go home at night and we relax, right? We're, we're dealing with the kids. We're taking them to soccer or hockey or baseball. That doesn't sound oh. relaxing, Dennis, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> or we're watching TV. Yes. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. few of us t- make a concerted effort to sharpen the ax. And so it's reasonable for us to assume that most people in transportation haven't done a lot of ax sharpening. So yeah, what kind of comes. jobs, you know, if well, they lose I- your job? It's hard. It's hard not to look at it and listen to you talk about some of the jobs that are going to be eliminated. These aren't high, and I want to be very cautious and respectful how I say this. These aren't highly educated jobs we're talking about. Well, it's kind yeah. of it's it's taking a swath right out of a certain group, a certain you know socioeconomic level of education where they sit. And you know, you and I talked about this a little bit in our last conversation, like the not only the opportunity but the need for those people, that group of people to be more savvy or be left behind. And that's a really scary kind of thing to say out there well, to yeah, kind of wipe out a whole section of society because they didn't have enough education to tool up or didn't have the drive or motivation or didn't see it coming. <laughs> right. Well, and, and they didn't see it coming is a huge part of this. And, you know, so we're, we're at a time right now where it is coming. We can see it. We know, we know some of the things that are going to happen. We don't know all of them, but we know enough of them to know that we're in for an unprecedented change. And is that is that message being suppressed a little bit? And I don't mean on purpose and in some clandestine way, but that's a big scary. Like if I'm in government, I don't want to put that out there because my consi- like I don't know that I feel like in certain circles it's coming. Otherwise, it gets painted as a bit of a oversold doom and gloom story, and then it gets minimized because I don't I don't know I don't hear that being talked about in the mainstream as much as it should based on kind of what I'm hearing from you now. Well, it, it, I think I think a lot of people haven't taken the time to step back and take a look at the the cumulative picture of what happens in all these different industries. Right. And I like what you said. It's you look in one little spot, it's one thing, but if you look at it as a whole, that's where you get this big tsunami essentially. Right. You, you get the stacking effect, right? Okay. Well, you know, retail, brick and mortar retail has been shrinking um, over the last several years. COVID certainly will accelerate that because everybody's getting used to buying on Amazon. Amazon's doing great. Retail is still healthy, retail isn't going away. Brick and mortar retail is getting hammered. Yeah, you're right. People aren't. Stop- we're not stopping consuming. I would argue right. we're increasing by the amount of delivery trucks that now, now that I'm working <laughs> from home that go down my street. Like I feel like a kid on Christmas when I'm expecting something because it's like they're fighting for parking, seeing all the different deliveries. So, <laughs> so, so consumer consumerism is alive and well in my neighborhood. <laughs> right, right. But but now a big like a, a retail job now is search engine optimization. It's big data analysis. Yes. It's That's logistics right. optimization. Right. Supply chain management. Those. Those are retail jobs. And, you know, a lot of people made their money, you know, and they're living 
in a retail store, you know, uh, working a cashier, cash register. That's like those those types of jobs are in jeopardy. And but an important yeah. distinction they're, here. They're still there, but they all are now going to have some type of a technology underpinning to to make them functional. I like what you said. Well, it's still a retail job. It's just now called SEO. It's still a retail job. It's just called analyzing data and consumer purchasing habits and making sure you're inventorying or being able to resource the right things. I love how you still it's still retail, but let's look at how they're shifting. And that's interesting. Well, and and the but the the challenge societally is going to be that the people that historically have worked retail don't have the skills to work the new retail jobs. Right. The people that, you know, and, and the same is true for hospitality. Right. There's robotic chefs on on the way. Right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've had this debate with some people in the company. And, you know, I guess firstly, I want to say this because I know this can sound very intimidating. I honestly believe everything is going to be good. I really, really do. And the you know, the good news is that technology is advancing and the ease of use is advancing such that everybody can learn this. We just have to make sure we're take, making the effort to learn this. And, you know, th- so nobody needs to be left behind. We just have to make sure that people are aware of what's coming and that they have that understanding far enough in advance to start to make changes because some of these changes are going to be pretty lengthy process. You know, and uh, we, we talk about the jobs that are going away, the, the new jobs. There's millions or tens of millions of new jobs coming as well. But an interesting thing is the World Economic Forum released a study in 2018, and in that study, it projected that a minimum of 54% of adults were going to need significant retraining and upskilling to remain competitive at work by 2022. And that's a year and a half away. And yeah, I don't know a lot. I don't. Of I don't yeah, I don't think we have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, talking about bringing this back to Calgary a little bit, if you look at, our, we have a highly educated workforce that was educated and, and spo- focused on a very specific sector. And, you know, we certainly don't have a lack of very smart, educated individuals in this town. But what I've heard from a lot of people is, yeah, but that skill. But then we have a shortage of 2,500 full stack developers over here. But we've got highly educated oil and gas engineers, geologists, whatever the case may be over here. How do we get them across the chasm? And that's easier said than done, to your point. And these are not, these are smart people that are motivated and engaged, but they had signed up for a certain path. And that path, the rug got kind of pulled out a little bit, to be honest. Well, and, and looking at this from a Calgary perspective, right? Uh, one of the things that's really important is that we diversify and we get into high tech industry as rapidly as possible. We have to build a very strong intellectual infrastructure towards, you know, coding, robotics, technology. The regions that do that, the cities, the states, or the provinces, the countries, are going to be so economically advantaged in the future, you know, because, and what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing with COVID a little bit is that, okay, people can work from home. And we're going to start to see that more and more in the future, where if we don't have the intellectual infrastructure in Calgary, the jobs just aren't going to come here, right? So Calgary's got, you know, a grant designed to attract companies and Okay, you know, to 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 grow the high tech sector and stuff like that, but you know, which which is awesome. But one of the challenges that happens is if you're a high tech company and you're looking at moving to Calgary, if Calgary doesn't have the the coders or the people that understand robotics or artificial intelligence and stuff, those com- those company like any grant that you send isn't going to be enough because it's not there's not a high enough level of staff available, high enough number of well, staff yeah. with we, enough we, skills, we, of, we, of, we, of we, the right skills, as intelligent yeah, as we totally. are. Yeah. 
Your and, core resource is the people with the right education and the right skills to do what you need. And that's your resource. And if it's not a resource-rich environment that way, and then the distributed work thing is a whole nother equation because, you know, I, I, I could work for, a co- you know, the, the proof is now I can work for a company anywhere in the world. And maybe I live in Calgary because the quality of life, but, and it's, and it's lower cost because the company that I'm working for now is in New York or in the Valley or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Like, it's like the rule book got flipped on its head, like literally six weeks ago. Right. And yeah, the, there's, there's a lot of interesting lessons that are, that are coming from this, but you know, and as, as horrible and bad as COVID is, it has presented us with a really interesting opportunity. And that, you know, and I, I've been doing a lot of webinars recently to help educators understand what this opportunity is. But here's, you know, here's the short story of it. A lot of people right now are unemployed um, and have spare time on their hands. And they have the benefit of the government propping them up. For, for this period of time. And, you know, and, and to be, to be fair, you know, I, my business is suffering right now as well because we deal with education, right? And so education is upside down right now as well. But what we're trying to do right now is to help educators understand what's coming so they can look down the road. And I think people that are, you know, that are being impacted by COVID because we're all self-isolating now, I think one of the challenges is we're all, kind of taking a short-term view and this is very natural but you can you can your brain can go super foggy and you can get kind of paralyzed because we don't know what the long-term view looks like and and the short term is or, or, the, or the short term for that matter right but, but well in the short term is very overwhelming and you know yes. and there's certainly there's certainly a portion of people that have very real you know, I, I need to figure this out today because this is a life and death situation for me. Yes. Solve, solve the problem in front of me now, for sure. But, I, I do appreciate that. But, you know, for a lot of us, there, you know, we're going, to, we're going to get through because of the government subsidies and stuff. And so, you know, here's a scenario, for example, if, if you know, with, with regards to COVID, but, but it, this, the same logic holds true for robotics and AI and stuff as well. You know, if you're if you're employed in the restaurant industry, there's a reasonable chance you're not coming back to a job if this stretches out, right? And so, in spite of the best the best efforts of the government and stuff, there are companies that are just going to simply fold. Well, as at the end of March, I think ten percent of the restaurants across Canada had closed with no intentions of reopening. Right, and that was only after the first couple of weeks. That, so you're right that that is a real, very real thing. So now, but now look at this. Okay, so if if, you, if that's the type of job that you t- traditionally did, if 10% of restaurants are closed, there's now 10% oversupply of staff for the remaining restaurants. So the jobs are going to get more competitive to get those. You know, it's going to be harder for you to make a living in that. But here we are now, and you've got this opportunity where the government is going to pay you for two or three or four months with no expectation that you're going to get another job. So if you know if if people use this opportunity where the government is paying them to, and they, they invest time in themselves to retrain, to upskill themselves, we could have a huge percentage of people coming out of COVID in much better position for their future than going into COVID. And if we look at it from a traditional perspective, like from a perspective of, okay, mm-hmm. you know, with COVID, we can get these kinds of subsidies because COVID is going to ultimately, in the grand scheme of humanity, be a blip, right? It could be a life-changing yes. blip. It could change absolutely everything, but it is it is most likely not going to be a total total societal change that will last years. We'll get past this, mm-hmm. but yeah. 
when we look at robotics and AI and technology and how it's going to change the world, that's not a blip. That's not something the government can spend their way out of with a subsidy that lasts three months, right? If you're in a, if you're in a career that is in the crosshairs to tech, but because of technology and we use this opportunity to retrain ourselves and, and give ourselves new careers and stuff. And, and it, you know, believe me, Tyler, I'm not suggesting everybody needs to become a coder or a roboticist, right? I am the... I, I, yeah, I would imagine there's some resistance like settling into a little bit right now in terms of people right. listening. Well, yeah, that's fine, but that's not me. But, so I think therefore it behooves us to figure out what that means for me. Right. And <laughs> and, and so this is this is where I, I get into, you know, the, the education that we bring. When we teach robotics, we're not specifically initially looking to try to make roboticists or coders. We're bringing robotics literacy, helping people to understand what it is, what what changes it can make to the world, how you can use it. The same way we bring computer literacy, because understanding robotics is really important. Like if you're going to be a manager at a retail store, you know, okay, if you're here, Tyler, I'll ask you the question. If, if you're the regional director of Lowe's and you got customer service robots, self-checkouts, warehouse robots, are you hiring a store manager that understands that technology or doesn't? I, I, I feel I was led to the answer on this, but I'm going to say yes. I, yes, I'm definitely hiring somebody. Right, right. So, but, but, but I want so, to be contrarian just for the sake of it, but no, clearly, <laughs> clearly that resume or that application or whatever it is goes to the top of the pile. Which, which is already going to be screened by my AI screening tool. So I'm only going to get the applications that have that experience anyways. <laughs> if you really want to take this one yeah, layer, no, one that, layer that's, beyond that. that that's, that's a terrible and nice tie in, but it's true. You know, and another example I love, and this is an example that is so powerful within education. Teaching is not traditionally a high-tech career for most teachers. For some it is, but for most it's not. But, you know, if we look at the changes that are coming in society and where the skill gap in society is, okay, we need more coders, roboticists, people that have 21st century tech skills, scientists, um, engineers, mathematicians, what kind of teachers are getting hired? Like if, I mean, if you, if, if you are an aspiring teacher today and you want to get a job, you make sure you have the word robotics, 3D printing, or coding on your resume. And it's interesting. I go to a lot of education conferences, and like I said, I've talked to thousands of educators of all different levels. And last uh, year I was in Boston at a principal's conference, and I was saying to them, you know, I was saying to the principals, in three or four years' time, what kind of a person are you going to hire? And the, every single principal I talked to said it's not in three or four years' time. Those are already the people that are getting prioritized. So okay, so it is. Ha- so, so you're seeing today, it happen. So it's happening now in real time. Okay. But it's not. It's not that teaching is a high tech career. But if you want to get hired as a teacher for the next five to seven years until we reach a new level of equilibrium where there are a lot of tech teachers, those yeah. are the teachers that are going to be in the highest demand. That's an interesting paradigm to put it. And I like what you said. The highest demand doesn't mean that there is a need or there isn't space for others. But if we're going to start looking and forecasting. Oh, that's so, so bringing this back to Calgary, and I don't want to get you in any hot water here. Like, are you seeing that happen here? Are you seeing that happen in our environment? Or can we be proud of what our education system is doing in Calgary and uh, Alberta? I should say, because I, I, I think well, first, first of all, I think we can definitely be proud of, of, of our teachers and our frontline workers and our administration. Everybody, you know, this, this is the most important thing, man. Our educators care about our kids. They care so deeply about them and they are always trying to do what is in the best interest of the kids um, within the realm of what they can do within the curriculum that's provided by the government. And this is not me trying to take a shot at the government or the previous government, but you know, there's, you know, it's, it's well known that education moves slower than industry, but we, we have to be mindful of the fact that education can't afford to move that much slower than industry because 
you know, that, that directly is going to impact the jobs that people get. And so, you know, if we look at, if we say, okay, let's say 30% of people are going to, 30% of jobs are going to be eliminated in the next 10 years. That means that 30% of our kids that graduate from our schools would take those types of jobs. Well, we, you know, if, I mean, if, if, if 30% of jobs are eliminated, that creates a, a pool of excess labor. You know, traditionally it's going to be typically low tech skill labor. I won't say low skill, but low tech skill labor. Yep, yeah. No, I think it's good and, to identify what we're talking We're talking about yeah. technical skills specifically. Yeah. I agree. And if, you know, if, if we're dumping 30% of our high school graduates into that pool every year, that pool is already struggling to get, you know, minimum wage jobs or low, low paying jobs. They don't need any more pressure. And the people that are graduating from our schools without those tech skills are going to have a hard time. So it's critically, critically important that all of our kids start getting these upgraded tech skills. And we're starting to see in different regions uh, and, you know, the Alberta curriculum is being revamped and stuff like that. But we're starting to see in different regions, you know, if we go one province over in BC, coding and robotics, you know, mandatory. And if we now let's let's forecast what happens in five years time. How many people do they have that are high school graduates that understand this technology? Who has the economic advantage, right? You know, this is, this is a time when we have to absolutely be investing heavily into education. And if the government, you know, the, hopefully the government will, will do that. But if they're not, as parents and parent associations and stuff, we have to do what is in our best, you know, what, what is in our powers because you really, you know, the – the crisis that exists to me within education right now are the kids that are in middle school to high school, right? Because now if you're in university today, you're going to graduate into a workforce that looks mostly similar, right? And so you're going to have a chance to get a foothold, which is going to allow you to get, you know, you're going to know people that have jobs and stuff like that. Your friends are going to have jobs. So you've got a chance. It's, it's, it's way different once you're already in the river and in the flow right. of it all. Yeah. Now, if you graduate, if you're in, let's say, grade nine now, and you don't get robotics or coding or 3D printing, you don't get these new world technology educations, uh, you're, you're graduating into a workplace that looks nothing like what it looks like today, and you're lacking this, the necessary skills to get these new world jobs. And, you know, when we think about the impact of not getting this education in our, in our primary and secondary schools, like before university and college, the, the, the economic impact is so great. The cost to educate people is so high past that point. You know, here's a, here's, a, here's a little thing I used to like to do with educators in conferences. I'd play a little game where I'd talk about all the jobs that are disappearing. You know, I'd, go, I'd run through the different industries, retail, re, you know, hospitality, you know, landscaping, a, a, a broad range. Right. Transportation, and, logistics, yeah, all of it. Yeah. All of it. And, and then I would say to them, okay, so, you know, you've all got university degrees. Show of hands, who here had to work your way through, or who here worked your way through college or university? And typically about 70% of hands will go up. And then I'll say, okay, now of those, of those people that have their hands up, which of you would not have been able to go to university if you couldn't work your way through? About 30% of hands will stay up. And then I will say, what kind of jobs did you work? And it is a laundry list for the exact type of jobs that are going away. And so when we start to think about that, like it's, this is not something that we can push into higher education because most of our kids won't, you know, I shouldn't say most of our kids won't make it there, but a, a number of our kids won't make it there. And even, even intelligent kids, if they don't have the, the financial pockets or their parents don't have the pockets to make it there, 
are going to have a hard time. And so, you know, if you if you can't if you can't get one of those new world high tech jobs that are coming, and you're competing with all the people that are, um, you know, pre were previously employed in low tech sectors. You know, here's a here's a question for you, Tyler. Again, and, and this is like all of my questions are loaded, so I know how this is going to go. But I, 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 I'm sensing that at this point. <laughs> but if you if you own a restaurant and you're looking to hire one person, are you more inclined to hire the person that is a you looking for a server? Are you more inclined to hire the person that is a a mother or a, a single mom, or are you more inclined to hire a student that's going to university? Who's going to give you their very best every single day? Oh, the, the single mom. Right. Because, for, because yeah, for, okay, for sure. I just had this conversation with someone the other day. Like, if you want someone who's going to work hard for you, you hire a mom. So I literally had someone on the show the other day that talked about <laughs> but, as she was growing her business when she became a mom and just how her whole perspective <laughs> of that world changed. But, you know, so it's a question. God, I didn't choose the other one because I think I would have got some hate mail off that one. <laughs> but, you know, no, I think is, it's, it's very clear. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, this is not hating against students, you know, and, no, and it can no, be argued no, it's, that it's, students it's, have will have new new knowledge and education and different perspective and there's value in all of those things but in terms of you know in, in terms of statistics or, or or math i think the majority of time it's going to be the person that will give you everything because they're not striving for something different right if you're a student and you're living with your parents and you're going to university okay i lost my job at the mcdonald's that's not the end of the world for me but for that for that single parent it is and you know that earlier you had mentioned that the talk about how come we're not hearing more about this. I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about this because it's very intimidating. Again, I want to reiterate, I do believe things are going to be good, but I believe they're going to be good because I know the success we've had teaching people that are not roboticists, that are not coders, that don't care about those things or like them and how we get them enthused and excited about it. So we know that there's a solution for this. And how but, you deliver it, yeah, and how and how you serve it up on the plate. For but, sure. You know, I for for like I've been doing this for a while there. So six years ago, I started to see more articles about robots are going to take all the people's jobs, and then mm -hmm. about two years ago, it started to be articles about how it's going to be assistive technology. It's not going to replace people. It's going to help them to do their job easier and better. <laughs> and and the truth is, it'll be a blend of those two, but it will be a relentless drive towards replacing people. And I, I hate to say that, but that's that's what industry does. That's what business does. And you know, so just from a strictly a strictly you know, and I've had this debate with lots of people, even including within my own company. But if you know, if I if okay, I'm going to say if I, but this, this isn't about me. But if if I own a restaurant, and somebody says to me, "Here's a piece of assistive technology. It's going to help your staff do a better job, and it's going to cost you fifty thousand dollars." And somebody else says to me, here's a piece of technology that's going to replace your worker and it's going to cost $65,000, but you won't need that staff member. Which, which of those two decisions puts more money in my pocket? And, 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 that's what, and that's what the answer is going to be every time. And like in the early days when I was talking to educators, you know, I would use the transportation example and stuff. And, and you know, and I use the Lowe's example in this or the, but the, the big thing is all we have to do is understand a few different things like the technology technological changes are happening and historically when mankind had the opportunity to um, outsource and make products cheaper in asia did we keep people locally employed or did we outsource to asia we outsource to asia when people have the opportunity of buying at 
Um, and this is not a shot at Walmart. I shop at Walmart as well. But when people had the opportunity of buying at their local store or their corner store or the Walmart and Walmart was 30% cheaper, where do people go? Walmart. Everybody has to make decisions based on their pocketbook. And so, yes, there will be assistive technology. Things will change. Um, it will it will help. Like the technology will help people do a better job. They will have to adapt how they work. But the truth of the matter is we have to be prepared for, you know, our career and the career that comes after that. And, you know, I was talking with somebody, uh, a group of people at a, um, a, a group of adults that were looking to get retraining and stuff uh, because they had lost their jobs. And we talked about the different careers that people were looking at. And one person said that they were looking at, you know, truck driver. And I said, okay, that's, that's awesome. But, and, and I'm not discouraging you from getting that job as a truck driver, go and do that right now. But as soon as you do that, the next day, start looking at what your next job is. And, and we, all, we all have to have that mindset now because technology is, you know, is moving forward. And, you know, the, the big thing that is that we need to also understand is this is all very daunting sounding. And, you know, and, and sometimes it's even daunting for me. But, you know, I've taught robotics to thousands of kids. Uh, and and adults and most of the people that I've taught robotics to had zero pre experience with robotics or coding. It is it's not the difficult thing that it that it used to be. And you know, and this is a podcast, so people can't see. But um, when we're teaching robotics, we use a foot high humanoid robot, the, the Easy Robot. That um, we get we get people excited about playing with it, and in playing with it, they're learning robotics, and it's a real world platform, right? People are using this in you know in in industry and so people when people are learning with this you know what what looks like a toy they're actually getting real world robotics and coding experience that directly translates right so it's it you know the 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 challenge is great but the opportunity is you know is there for everybody it's not it's not super hard to do but we do have to we do have to start pivoting with that in education to, to, get, to get there faster and get more. Well, I, I like the approach you guys are taking because you're kind of going to the root of it. Like <clears throat> use McDonald's earlier, use a bit of the McDonald's approach, get them when they're young, have a customer for life kind of, kind of mindset, <laughs> happy, happy meal approach. Um, but so a couple questions from an economic perspective, obviously you're out there spending a lot of time in North America. What's this looking like globally? Are there jurisdictions, countries that are just going with this? Like I'm just thinking about just different parts of the world. Are we ahead? Are we behind? Are we like, this is happening globally, but is there other areas that have been embracing this a couple of years ago? Like, are, yeah, we, it, are we, are we, are we lagging? You know, the, the interesting thing, there are, there are some countries that are, that are starting to make more broad strokes and moves. Um, you know, some of the Asian countries, um, but Middle East, UAE and stuff are, are starting to, to get into this stuff in, in a greater level. The, the good news is there's still time for us. We're not so far behind that we can't catch up, right? The, it, it's just that we have to start doing the right things and we have to start recognizing the critical importance of this. And well, I appreciate that the underpinning of this is there is don't panic, but there's a sense of urgency. Right. And, that loud and, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the, you know, the exact timing that we're in right now with COVID really does give people an opportunity to, to reinvent what we do. And, so my, my webinar that I'm doing right now is called being a butterfly in a time of COVID because I kind of feel like that's what we all are. We're all in our cocoons and you know, if yep. you know 
Some of us are just going to hang out in the cocoon and we're going to come back out and we're going to be a caterpillar. And other ones of us are going to take this time to really enhance ourselves and improve ourselves. And we're going to emerge as something totally different and, 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 you know, and better and stronger and brighter. And if we now think about, you know, taking this back to an educational fra framework for just a second, if we think about all of the teachers that are, you know, at home because of the schools being shuttered, mm -hmm. and and I've, I've got three kids at home, so I understand those pressures. Um, I understand how difficult it can be, and I understand that there's distance learning happening. Um, some teachers are doing it. Some teachers aren't really doing a lot of it. And and again, I talk to people all over the world, but imagine what education could look like if we were able to harness all of that spare time or, you know, and then taking that beyond education. Imagine, yeah, the, imagine what the, we could the, talk the about time is going to be out. Yeah. What do we have to show for it kind of at the end? And what, like, what did we do to say, Hey, we, we had this unique event happen. And so therefore we took that time and, and focused it. And, but I think sometimes for people, it's also challenging where, where, like what, what should I, what should I pick? So listen to you talk it's kind of that broader technology from AI to robotics to just versing yourself and also finding out where you maybe resonate or what actually lands for you. Cause we're well, all yeah, and, to different stages of that cycle. Well, yeah. So, so when, when we're trying to teach robotics to people, we're not trying to make roboticists. I want in, environmentalists that understand robotics. I want politicians. I want artists, scientists. I want them to understand what robotics is so they can take that and apply that to wherever their passion is. It's not, it's not that robotics necessarily needs to be an industry again. And I'm, I'm the perfect example yes. of that, right? I am, I am so bullish on robotics and, and this education, I, I can't even begin to tell you, but like I told you seven years ago, if you'd have said, Hey, you know, you're going to be doing robotics. I would have said you were crazy. Right. And, and I, I think, I, I think that I'm, I'm similar to a lot of people in that regard. And one of the interesting things is, is the fact that I don't have a robotics or engineering background. You know, my approach to robotics is very democratized, right? It's not, I don't teach it. I don't make an engineering program. And that's like, there's a lot of things that we have to do right now that are a little bit counterintuitive. Um, you know, so it's, for example, it's intuitive that if you're a principal of a school and you're thinking, okay, I've been reading about robotics and AI, we should be offering a robotics option to our kids. Right, forward-thinking principle. That's super awesome. With with most people, the very next thought is, who do I have that can teach this? And then the next thought is, who's my most engineering-minded teacher? And the engineering-minded teacher is going to create an engineering program that's going to appeal to engineering-minded kids. But the kids that need this education the most are the ones at the other end of the spectrum. So what we really need to do is to inspire all of our teachers to understand that this does pertain to them. They can teach robotics. Like ima imagine what the a robotics program would look like and how different it would be if it's being taught by, you know, a com tech teacher or computer scientist versus a culinary arts teacher or a social studies teacher. I mean, that those are two very different courses, both, both very valid, but they're, they're, diff they're just different courses and they appeal to different people. So we have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, our, our kids that are in, in drama and the arts and, you know, the, the humanities, that are, that are, you know, that centric, um, we have to find a way to reach those people with this technical education as well, because they, they're going to need this as well. Right. You know, 
Oh, go ahead. There's some interesting theory I've read, you know, the, the whole right brain, left brain, and kind of that just to oversimplify it. But the, the, the need for the ability to connect abstract thoughts and to bring the human side of this in. And like, I, I love that you put it out there. This isn't a conversation of like, well, forget all that stuff. We're just going to be strictly like this linear kind of STEM approach versus going, no, 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 we need to bring it all together. But it's like saying tech isn't an industry. It's a, it, or digital isn't an industry. It's an underpinning of everything. Yeah. And it's going to take all those perspectives to kind of humanize it, make it valuable valuable like back to your conversation about robots once you see the value of what it can do your interest level goes up immediately and you might not care about circuit boards at all right and that's i think a nice jump from you know yesterday we had someone on the show and it was like oh the you know the joke the nerds will inherit the earth kind of process this is it's this takes everybody because it's going to affect all of us and that's an interesting kind of leveler versus making this feel like it's actually a bit discriminatory that if i'm not into well, that i'm going to be somehow left behind and this is this is this is important so i i did a um i was actually out in Invermere. Uh, doing some training at a school out there that has some of our robots. And while I was there, I was talking to the principal and, and I said, you know, if you, if you want, I'm happy to do a presentation for your kids. And so it was an impromptu presentation and they made an announcement and the announcement was basically um, any teachers that have kids that want to come down to this robotics presentation, this guy's going to talk about the, you know, how robotics and AI is going to change the future and the workforce. If your kids are interested, you can come on down. And I did the presentation, and after it, one of the teachers came up, and she told me that she was a psychology teacher. And I was, and I was surprised by that. I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Why did you bring your kids down? And she said, I asked them if they wanted to come down, and the answer was, yeah, we, like, they voted on it. And the majority of them wanted to know if AI was going to take away therapists and psychologist jobs. And I thought that's really interesting and forward-thinking, and I loved it. But – so I said, okay, then here's, here's my take on it. And I, I can't say for sure this is right, but it's, a, it's at least a thoughtful take and, 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 and based on some knowledge. Um, yes, AI, there will be AI that will impact, you know, the psychology and therapy industries and, and there will be phone support and stuff that will be AI and people, you know, in, in five or 10 years time won't know that they're talking to a robot because it will get good enough. Um, that will, that will come. But Another interesting aspect is if we think about the changes that are coming to the future and now just, you know, close your, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're driving while you're listening to this, don't close your eyes, but if you're not driving, close your eyes for just a second and just think about what happens when somebody loses their job, they come home, they've lost their job, the fear, the stress. And now imagine if the job that you lost, um, you know, you've been doing it for 30 years, you, you, you don't have high tech skills for these, this new world. And think about the psychological pain and suffering of that person. And then think about how you bring that person back into being a productive member of society, helping them understand that they do belong. And they do. They, all of us have value and unique perspectives. But who is more able to get that person back to being a productive member of society? Somebody who understands the technology or doesn't? Again, you don't have to be a roboticist or a coder. But if you understand robotics, you're much, and you're a, a therapist, you're much more likely to be able to help the person walk down the pathway towards accepting technology and upgrading themselves and their skills. So I would suggest that, you know, psychology would be something that people would say has nothing to do with robotics, but robotics is going to massively impact, and, and AI is going to massively impact that industry. You know, a, a, another example is fashion design. You know, again, this goes back to the, the robotics conference I mentioned earlier, Robo Universe. And 
at that conference, I met 20 to 25 people from the fashion industry, which really surprised me. And so the first couple, you think, oh, they must have a personal interest in robotics. But, you know, you start to meet three, four people in an hour from an unexpected industry. You're like, wait a second, there's a pattern. So I started saying to them, like, you're the fourth person I've met in an hour. Why are there so many people from the fashion industry at this robotics conference? And half of them said that two of the most important skills in getting a job in fashion design are 3D printing and robotics. The other half of the people said those were the two most important skills. And that's five years ago. And now fashion design, if, if you know, prior to me making this statement or, or to have spoken to those people, if you said to me, you know, what skills are important in a fashion designer, I would have said ability to draw, good sense of color, some, some pizzazz, some flair, probably <laughs> resiliency because everybody's not going to love everything. You're going to have to have a pretty good, pretty good ability to pick yourself up off the map because people are going to be critical. You know, I would have gone through a list. I would never have included pure technical skills like robotics and, and 3D printing. But now if you think about, you know, again, one of my loaded questions, if you're going to hire somebody that's a fashion designer and 3D printing and robotics gives that person a, you know, an ability to create more innovative designs, you're more likely to hire the person that can give you the most innovative designs. Once people become right. available that have those skills, they're advantaged and the ones of us that don't have the skill are disadvantaged, right? So it, it's, it's honestly going to be a layer across all industries. I, I've, I've talked to so many people about this. The only time somebody was able to stump me was I it was a student. It was such a great situation. I was, you know, I basically said like, you could run through any industry and, and it's going to be impacted. And the person said, what if I want to give horseback tours? <laughs> and I'm like, then you are going to have such an incredible life. I can't even tell you, but, <laughs> but, yeah, but everybody absolutely. else will need this. Right. But, but I mean, those, those types of jobs are going to be fewer and fewer and farther between. Right. Yeah. So we all have to get these skills. So interesting, the underpinning. So pivoting back, and I'm going to take this a little bit different, but obviously you're also a startup in Calgary. Yeah. How has it been for you in this marketplace? Have you got support? Has the government been there for you? Has the community been open? It sounds like you travel all over and your your kind of stage is global. But being a uh, a startup in Calgary and in, in, in this field, have you has the ecosystem been there for you? Like, Have you had programs that have kind of helped with funding or grants? getting people on your team job related. Have you had any challenges specifically to being here versus being anywhere else that you, you know, arguably could be? So, well, it, you know, it, it is definitely a challenge for companies that are trying to raise money in the tech, you know, in, in, in robotics or AI okay. in, in Calgary. It's just not as well understood as oil and gas traditionally has been. And oil and gas has always been a, um, a, a safe, large return investment for people that they understood. Right. So it, um, that's not critical of investors. It, that's just the reality. No, you, you're um, the second guest this week that I've had that said that exact same thing. There's just a comfort level here and, and a lack of understanding over here. And that, that over here is a big category, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll go back to um, DJ when because DJ founded Easy Robot, uh, you know, and he was raising money and stuff. He did have a hard time and we did apply for some government programs. I just want to say, like, I, I feel like I'm getting reasonable reasonable support and stuff at this point in time. But back in the day, okay. I was trying to apply for government programs and, you know, I put down, okay, we've got an educational robot and stuff. And, and the, um, the response that came back from the government was education's not an industry. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not an industry? Like I was, I was so taken aback and 
you know, because the, the real challenge for me with this, Tyler, this goes back a ways, but it was a, a, a grant to help with marketing and promotion and sales and, and advertising and stuff. I, I can't recall what, even what program it was, whether it was provincial or federal, I don't recall. But um, in my application, I put like, you know, please contact me before ruling on this, because if you understand what I'm going to tell you about what's coming and the impact and stuff like that, you know, we're sitting here with a truly, truly world-class product. And, and I give full credit for that to DJ. He, he created quite honestly, the world's best robotics platform for educating people. And honestly, it's not even close. It's so far advanced to everything else out there. But, you know, when I was saying, okay, you know, the education industry and the, to hear back that they're going, well, the ed education isn't an industry. And like that, that that's not, that's not a, a business that we're prepared to, to support. Oh, interesting. It, okay. It was, it was, it was very, very demotivating. And, you know, the, I, I don't remember what the number is, but it's something in the range of 20 billion is supposed to be spent on educational robotics in the next five to 10 years or something. It's, it's some, it's, it's a number and I should know that, but um, you know, COVID's got my brain a little scrambled as well and everything has changed. So some of my, it's a real number is what I'm hearing, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a massive number and it's a Calgary company that has that product. And, you know, so what ended up happening is about a year ago, um, or about a year and a half ago, Easy Robot split into um, two companies. One they rebranded, called calling it Synthium, which is Synth I M S Y N T H I A M, and that's the software that is used to power the robots. And then Easy Robot broke off as a separate hardware company. And um, you know, DJ is doing still incredible things, and it's interesting. You know, I I love sitting down and talking with him. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear me talk about the future and what's coming, they're like, oh, that's very visionary. And when I sit down and I talk to DJ, I'm like, oh, that's very visionary. So, you know, he, he's not looking like he, he doesn't he doesn't just see five years into the future. He's seeing 10 years into the future. He's, um, you know, he, he's got a real, real strong understanding for where um, artificial intelligence and robotics is going to go. The challenges before those industries become major players and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, well, that, that, that is the challenge from like sometimes living too far in the future. Like that, that is an interesting trick for a startup or for any type of innovative based company. You get so far away, people don't whether either relate to it or believe it. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes that's a lot of funding and a lot of runway to get there. There's gotta be, there's gotta be some type of, how do you make it real in the meantime? Yeah. I guess is maybe yeah. the question. That, that's challenging for a lot of companies that are innovating in Calgary. When I talk to a lot of them and they're like, ah, you know what? It's just, we're, it still feels foreign when we go talk to investors and we, you know, or, or also like the mentors in Calgary, although really smart, educated people, they're not three exits deep on a tech on tech startup. So they, there's just a different, maybe sometimes not as deep of a pool or layer here. And again, just taking from what I've heard from so many different people where there can be some challenges doing things innovative in this way in, in the Calgary marketplace. Well, yeah. And you know, there's, there are, there are a lot of really great people here. There are some, you know, great investors and stuff. And you know, the, it, it would be what, what I would, what I would love Tyler is if all the people that are potentially investors would listen to your podcast and, and hear what <laughs> is coming because a lot of, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand what's coming. And, you know, again, I've, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people about this 
and people that are tech specialists, roboticists and stuff, you know, for something that is going to be as dramatic and sweeping as what is as, as what robotics and AI is going to be, it is largely misunderstood still. And that's such, wow, which is the whole point of this podcast is to collide people with ideas they don't normally <laughs> run into. So I think we're meeting that objective today in space. <laughs> but yeah, if we can, if we can get the, the, the public understanding this, you know, the investors should be dropping money into this. Um, you know, it would be, it would be, it would be, I would, I would love to see, um, the city of Calgary come up with some grants designed to enhance education within Calgary. And I know that education is a provincial thing, but it mm-hmm. is the, the potential is that this is going to get very, very territorial. The cities that jump on this stuff early and do a great job of it are going to be so massively advantaged over the ones that don't. The provinces that jump on it are going to be massively advantaged, the countries. And, you know, it, it ladders it, all the way up and all the yeah. way back down. And, when it comes, so, I like how you're talking about it on a municipal level, like even on a city level, this can, you know, even I hear stories about, I'm originally from Montreal, you know, the AI movement that's happened in Montreal and how that's taken over. And, you know, when I was in Montreal, Montreal was struggling to kind of find its identity. And I hear it referenced constantly now. So somebody had that vision, got on it. Now, 10 years later, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? But if not, today's good. Let's do it today. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing and what you're saying. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the, one of the one of the things that when I'm, when I'm talking, you know, I'm going to take this down even more granular for just a second. When I'm talking to a principal of a school, you know, I'll talk to them about what's coming. And once they understand it, they're like, you know, what you're saying makes sense. I want to do this. We just don't have the budget for it right now. And my response is, you know, I, I recognize that that can be tough. Schools are dealing with budgets all the time and it's hard. But my response is, if you, do you have a parent association? And if you have a parent association, then they will probably raise the money you need to put a program like this in place. And sometimes, sometimes it's just about properly presenting the whole case, like presenting your case well, essentially, right? Yeah. Now. So, which I, which is what you kind of do in day out. I can, right. as I'm sensing, I'm like, I will tell you guys again, here's another way to well, thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. But, but you know, the, if, if people understand what's coming and we understand what the challenge is, we will rise to that challenge. And, you know, educators care passionately about their students. Parents care infinitely more passionately about their children. And, you know, from a perspective of if I, if my kids are in a school and they're not doing the things that they should be doing to prepare our kids for this for the future, I've got two choices. I can pull my kid out and move them to another school, or I can help that school do what they need to do to to make this happen. And it sucks that there's not provincial funding for robotics and coding. It sucks that it's not in the curriculum full time yet. It like those you know, and those things might come around, but. We can sit here and say that's unfortunate or we can do something about it. And Calgarians are awesome about doing something about it. So earlier when I say like I actually have a a really high degree of confidence that things are going to be good because once people understand what is approaching and understand the steps they need to take, it's not complex, but there are certain steps that people should be taking and there are some missteps that people are making. And if if we understand where the real goalposts are, then – educators will make great decisions and the kids will get the education they need and everything will be good. Taking that back a step as a city, we can sit here and say education is a provincial thing. It's not our budget, but it's our city, right? But it's our, but it, but it's our problem if we don't, right. if we don't look so, at it. So we can yeah. sit here and in 20 years time, we can complain yeah, that the government yeah. didn't do a great job 
or we can take the steps needed to do a great job. And it's not terribly expensive, right? right? Like, you know, the, well, it starts with the right belief structure, right? Of actually just believing what's true. And then once you know, it's hard to unknow something once, once right. you know, it's coming to yeah. your, your point. And so, yeah, once, once we, once we get that level of knowledge out to people and um, you know, I, I, I mentioned, I've done a huge number of robotics presentations for kids. We do those for free in schools. We never charge for them. I've done a huge number of staff PD sessions. We do those for free in schools where a principal can email us and we'll, come in and I'll come in and I'll talk for an hour about here's what's coming. And it's interesting because a lot of times before, like if I'm talking to a principal beforehand, they'll say, you know, we'd love to be teaching coding, but we don't have anybody that'll teach it or robotics. And I, my response is give me an hour and I'll talk to your staff and you will, you'll have five or six teachers that are fighting for it because they need to know two things. Why is it important? That's the first thing. And they need to feel confident that they can do it. And it's, you know, I, I ironically, maybe or not ironically, those are the exact same things the kids need. They need to be inspired <laughs> and they need the confidence, right. right? So elementary aged kids are great because they're excited about learning most things. As they start yeah. to get up in grade six, seven, eight, nine, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not interested in that. And I, I don't want to look, you know, geeky or whatever the concern might be. Right. Maybe my friends aren't taking it. You start to get the social and the peer pressure. Let, let's, let, let's just say it's complicated in those years. Yeah, for, <laughs> fair enough. But you know, if, if we can get at those students and help them to learn this, then we're in great shape. And, you know, so again, I've demonstrated to thousands of kids. I want to give you some stats for what robotics education looks like across North America. Um, at the high school level, on average, the way it's being taught in schools today, it's generating between 2 to 3% engagement for boys, 02 to 0.3% for girls. So if you've got a school of 2,000 kids, 1,000 boys, 1,000 girls, you're going to have mm-hmm. typically about uh, 20 to 30 boys and two to three girls. Now, when we think about the changes that are coming and we realize that three girls out of a thousand are getting this education, that's a problem. That's yes. right. And, and now that's, that's in schools that have robotics options or programs or clubs. Now, that even do clubs. have it. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. So now, but if all of our kids need this and most schools don't have those clubs and the ones that do are getting 2% to 3%, and sometimes, I mean, there are teachers out there that are getting 10 to 15%, right? So, but that's, but that's the anomaly. Right. But you're talking about outliers. Yeah. Right? And, and then the, and, and at the middle school level or the junior high level uh, in Calgary, the number of kids that are learning robotics uh, across North America is about, uh, it's between five and 15%. That can vary pretty widely based upon the products that people are using. And so, you know, and, Five to or five to fifteen, and, and typically the girls are less again. So you, you know, if you were looking at five percent of girls, fifteen percent of boys, averaging it out, let's say ten percent of kids, for most schools that are offering a robotics option or club, um, and again, but all of our kids need it. And an important thing to understand is the way it's being taught. In a lot of cases, it's being taught like an engineering program, so it's only appealing to the most engineering-minded kids. Of course, it it, it alienates just by the way it's being presented. No, or, sorry, right. it. it it's not as appealing. It's so, not as broad, broadly appealing so versus going, versus a computer class of just basic computer literacy where everyone's interested or, you know, that kind of a... But going going back now, and let's let's take that, you know, the, the, the engineering-minded kids. How many of the people that we talked about earlier that go into retail, transportation, hospitality, how many of those kids are engineering-minded? Mm-hmm. Not the majority yep. of them, right? And, and so 
the engineering minded kids tend to go off to be engineers, uh, you know, or, or something similar to that. Not always, but right. So, so it actually almost just kind of skips off the surface to a certain extent. Right. And, and so now the way that we teach robotics, and this is again, why I'm so bullish on the fact that I believe things will be good at the middle school level, we can get 90% of kids interested in learning robotics, which, you know, is, is most of that, that is most of your school population. And at the high school level, we can get 25 to 50%. And if the schools take all of the steps that we recommend taking. And, you know, that that is a dramatic improvement to go from three girls out of 1,000 to 250 or 500 girls out of 1,000. Right. Uh, and it's not, it's not a, it's, it's, it's an easy process, but it's not a, and it's highly replicatable, but it's not a, low touch process. Like you can't just say, Oh, we're going to have a robotics class and, and get those kind of, oh, you've got to, you have to market it I'm the right way and promote it and do those types of things. Like, well, back to your communications background. Um, I'm curious, just uh, and I don't know the numbers that even close of how many even school, how many schools from a percentage perspective in, in Calgary would even have a robotics. Can you just, just to give us context, like, is it 5% of schools would have it in Calgary or even in Alberta? I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I'm I would, trying to put my, my hands yeah. around what the, what the, what the sample size is here. And, and, and you know, a year ago, I would have had better a better grasp on the statistics. I, you know, I've been uh, working internationally, so but I would, I would say I would I would guess probably probably in the range of about fifty percent of schools have something. Maybe maybe it's even more. Maybe it's okay. 70%. Okay, that's all right. That's better than I was thinking you were going to say. So okay, that's that gives me more optimism than I was expecting. A fifteen to twenty five percent answer for some reason in my mind, listening to you talk. But but mm. but even in those schools that are, if you're you know if you if you've got it's, it's still it's still school, that other it's seventy percent yeah. of the high schools are doing this but getting two percent of the kids that's that's still statistically not yeah no it still goes, it still goes back to your kind of original parameters that it's it's being presented in a way that isn't as all inclusive or as broad as it as it needs to be based on these changes that were that are coming that are bearing down on us whether we quote unquote like it or not yeah and and you know Tyler I, I want to make absolutely clear on this that. This is not an attempt by me to minimize the work being done by our educators. They, like I said, they care about our kids. They're doing a great job. They're doing, mm -hmm. you know, and up until, up until like very, very recently, 2% of kids learning robotics or 3% of kids learning robotics at the high school level is awesome. Right? If you're giving your yeah. kids that opportunity, I, I to learn, the ones that are interested, that's great. But what we need is at a government level, at a, at a provincial level, we need a, a strong understanding that this is not an education that is optional. And, and, and we also have to change how, we, how we're teaching it because if it's only appealing to 2 to 3% of kids, even if we make it mandatory – People are going to check no, out. That, right? It's no, not going to work, no, yeah, right? We have to that's that's lead, a, lead a horse to water philosophy. How about just how about just get to make let the horse be thirsty and it'll go drink on its own kind of kind of mindset? Like, yeah, I, I like the idea of it's it is how we package it. It is being very deliberate on how it's being presented because if it's a simple math equation of like there's going to be this much need and there's this much supply, we have a problem coming. Like the graph is already missing itself if you extrapolate only a few years down the road. Like what I heard you say loud and clear, this isn't a 20 year from now reality. This is a two to five year reality that we're heading towards. And then, you know, it's really slowly and then all of a sudden, and that's a scary thought when you think about the impact of just using right now of the people that are being impacted and you think of that being duplicated by this trend, that's really interesting. That's, I think right now we're better equipped than ever to see the reality of the impact of what happens when a whole portion of the population can't go to work. Yeah, and it's, it, it's a, um, hmm. you know, COVID has 
um, unfortunately, but maybe there's maybe there's some good that can come from it. Has really accomplished in a few weeks what you know. It's it's given us a real look at what some of those challenges might present like. And I think that's you know it's 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 also interesting. It's it's not a direct correlation. It's not like all the same jobs of that course. are hit by COVID are going to be the ones hit by AI or robotics. But there is there is a pretty good correlation and overlap. And you know the man if. If, if there was one thing that I could that I could you know almost plead with for people is if you're sitting at home, take a forward view and try to understand what's happening in your career or your industry or the areas that you're interested in. Spend spend a night, do some research, understand that, and drive toward that. You know, one of the things that's happening right now with COVID is, I think, and this was true for me. I was very foggy initially. People are looking just like right right over their the hood of their car like when you first learn to drive and you're kind of you're looking right over the hood and you're just concerned about am i staying in my lane am i you know make am i going to hit something is there a pothole and and at 10 and 2 radio turned off yeah and, and, right. and, and we're so like this is what has happened i think to a significant percentage of people myself included and we're, we're and i think it's pretty natural to look right over the hood when you're new at something but the right way to drive is to look 300 yards, 400 yards down the road to see where the traffic jams are. What are the traffic lights doing? And when you take that long view, you can still get enough detail of the things around you. You can know that you're in your lane without looking at your lane. You can know that the car beside you is red and you're in its blind spot. Like you can, you, you can just inherently see those things out of your periphery and know what's happening. And I really believe that for the most part, if we can take that mindset and apply that to COVID today and be aware that that's what we're doing, we're looking at it, you know, we're studying it like the lines on our hands. And if we do that, we can't see what's around us because we're too focused on the lines on our hand. And as, as soon as we're aware we're doing that, and then we start to take a long-term view, self-isolation doesn't feel so hard, right? Like, I mean, we can still, we've got to wash our hands. We've got to do those things and take care of ourselves. And again, I, you know, with respect, I know some people are really, really, really struggling right now just to make ends meet. And, and, and for those people, you know, I mean, God bless and keep doing what you need to do to get by, but just keep one eye, keep one eye on the distance then, because, you know, if you're, if you're a teacher and you understand, okay, if you're doing culinary arts, you need to know that there's robotic chefs coming. Right. Or if you're a chef, you need to know there's robotic chefs coming. That's not to say necessarily that you won't still be a chef in a few years time. But, you know, if you understand that there's robotic chefs coming and you understand them and you understand what they can do and you you acclimatize yourself so you're comfortable around a robotic chef. If there's going to be a chef in the kitchen with that robot, you have a higher probability of it being you. Right. You know, if there, there's, there's no, I, I like I like that approach. Is there any, uh, so from that perspective, and I would, I, I agree, and I've been, it's, I'm, I'm, this is a very personal question now, because I'm like, ah, robotics and AI and ML, I'm having all these great conversations with so many people, but sometimes I go down the rabbit hole, but it's, I don't even know which rabbit hole. Do you have any recommended, like, is there go-to resources, there places that you steer people that say, hey, you want to start like 101, kind of here's a good path, or here's a website, or here's an organization you should check out, and obviously, Easy Robot, and um your, your platforms. I don't want to overlook those, but is there any specifically that you would call out as places to go for people that are, the curiosity is just out of control because they've been listening to us for an hour and 20 minutes. And they're like, I got to learn more about this. These guys are like over the top. Hope, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, but where would you recommend? What would you say is, uh, is on your list? Okay, the, the first, the first place that I would send people is to, uh, and this is, it might seem self-promotional and it's not intended to, 
but I've got a video on our on the robot stop education website and that's the whole like that's the whole website it's robots.education no.com um, under the about section it's why stem and robotics education is so important and that's a video that I filmed at an education conference a few years back and the information is a little bit dated but it really does a nice job of kind of unpacking and extrapolating some of the stuff that we talked about. And then I, I showcase a little bit about how we teach robotics and demonstrate it and stuff. And so that's, that's a really good first place because what that will do is it'll start to give people an understanding to a greater level of what's coming. And it'll also help them to understand that they can have tremendous success. Right? So when I'm doing a presentation to kids, I always, you know, I get the kids up to program the robot because I need two things. I need them to be inspired and I need them to be confident. Right. And that confidence is a big one. People are intimidated and, you know, yeah, absolutely the, practice and get, yeah. The more you expose to something, usually in my experience, the less scary it quickly becomes. Yeah. But the story I tell, the story I created in my mind is all the demons are always way bigger and taller and scarier than when I actually go do it. So what, what, anything else? Like, that's great. I'm going to go check that one out myself. Any other, uh, again, and it can be your own. You can self, like, please share. Yeah. You're an educator by nature. I get that. I love that. Well, I, I would, I would say this, anybody that wants to have me do a presentation to their organization, their school, their district, happy to do that. I, I'm not going to charge any money for it. The, the information is just too important and I'm happy to get it out there. Um, then, you know, the, the, the company I referenced earlier, Synthium, um, Synth I am, uh, is a, is a, a very visionary look at what's coming kind of two layers down the road. Um, so for people, for people that feel comfortable with it, that's a good place to go and look, but you know, I, I, I wish I had more, um, so I, I, I didn't give you a pre-ask on this one either. I got to totally put you on the spot too. For yeah, that. no, but, but I, I, I don't have any resources that are, are spectacular off the top of my head. You know, there's, there's so much online. If you, if you type in your career or industry and artificial intelligence or the word robot, you're going to find articles about it, about how things are impacting your, your specific area of interest. Like, you know, if you're interested in cleaning up the environment type environmental robots or, you know, th that type of thing, and you're going to, you're going to get information that is very pertinent to you. Right. And so then if you apply, if you apply kind of generalized knowledge of what's coming uh, along with a confidence that you can do this and you start to understand what's coming in your particular area of interest, man, everybody can learn it. Everybody can. Sorry, I'm clearly, I'm, I'm on Synthium right now and I'm getting sucked in. So, yeah, the, the, I, so sorry, I all of a sudden I became instantly distracted from my podcast with you as I'm on your site. So check out Synthium.com. It looks super cool. Okay, sorry. I'm gonna close this window because I just got easily distressed. <laughs> squirrel, squirrel. Sorry, my. Uh, but yeah, I do recommend go check it out. It's very cool. I want to make sure I had it typed in right. And yeah, it's very interesting. No, Dan, I really appreciate the kind of. We went down some rabbit holes. I appreciate your philosophy and obviously your your nature as a. You know, I know you work in the education field, but your edu the way you educate in terms of how you lay it out, I've really found it very approachable and. I left the phone call the other day when you and I did our kind of pre our, our first our first date is the second date. You know, I left with that sense of urgency, but today I'm I'm personally walking away with a sense of yes, it's urgent, but it is it's not insurmountable. And I think that that's really important because if something seems too big and too scary, you don't even start climbing. Where this feels very like it feels scalable. Like I think we like as individuals we can scale the problem. 
And to me, that's the root of this podcast. I'm, I try to be bullish on everything. And to me, you've left us a lot of room for potential here. This isn't like it's too, this isn't a too late story at all. Yeah. No. And, you know, a good, a good thing for people to know is, um, the easy robot platform is a real world robotics platform. Uh, I'm told that NASA uses it for rapid prototyping, uh, like real, real world product, but we teach it to fourth graders. You know, I've taught it, I've taught it to kids as young as second grade, um, but we recommend it for fourth graders. And that tells you that everybody can do it, right? Well, I would argue that the fourth grader probably has fewer barriers than maybe the 40 year old. <laughs> I'm just going to speak to myself. <laughs> He might be, he or she might be more open-minded than I might be going in there. I'd like to not think that, but <laughs> I, do, I, I do appreciate there is a certain age where everything is neat and yeah. everything is interesting and that is the right time to, yeah. you know, kind of start, start, start young. But, so Dennis, what's the best way if people want to learn more, they either want to bring you into anything, how do they get a hold of you? Okay. Um, probably they, they can hit me through either of the two websites. Uh, one of them is EZ or EZ-robot.com. If you just hit the contact form, that will work its way up to me. And the other one is robots.education. You can contact me there as well. Um, Perfect. And you are on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's right. That's kind of where you and I, I found you on yeah. LinkedIn after I first heard your name. Yeah. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to chat with everybody. You know, if you've got particular circumstances that you're, that you're facing and you're interested in uh, growth for yourself or your students or your loved ones or whatever, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to chat with people. It's, it's important. Well, your, your passion for the topic and your enthusiasm shows through in spades. So thank you so much for the, the candor today, the openness, and uh, the short answer is putting this on everyone's radar because the, the, like, the, you know, we can't plead ignorance here. We now know <laughs> what we're dealing with. So thanks so much for your time today, Dennis. Awesome. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks. Thanks.